Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are a good father. <clears throat> you give your children good gifts. Thank you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you for Jesus, our greatest gift, and our hope for all of eternity. Thank you for the love that you so freely lavish on us. Father, help us to be faithful to show others how great you are by the way that we love one another. Help us also to be faithful with the resources and the gifts that you have given to us. Though we're not all given the same, your requirements are the same for each of us. That is, to be faithful with whatever you have entrusted us with, to use all that we have for your glory and the building up of your church, your body. Thank you for the gifts that your people at Proclamation have given. May they be used in all the ways that you have ordained for us to steward them. Thank you, Father, for our pastor, Troy. Thank you for his faithfulness to you and to your people, for the way that he shows us and teaches us how to love you and one another and how to share the gospel with those who desperately need you. Give him all that he needs in this moment and as he preaches to proclaim your word in such a way as you would have him proclaim it to us. Use the words that he speaks in his life and in each of our lives to remind us all how great you are. Guide those who are listening here and online to an understanding of your word, and may it propel a deeper love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Please turn in your Bibles to Romans 8, 14 through 17, where you'll find our scripture reading for this morning. It's also printed in your bulletins on page 11. Just a reminder that the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Please stand for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Rebecca. Greatly appreciate and need your prayer. And thank the Lord that our Father hears and answers. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And so as we come to this moment, uh, we believe that it is not simply me speaking to you, but God himself speaking to you through his holy and inerrant word. And he will accomplish his good purposes in your lives today. Praise the Lord. Well, we continue our study of the book of Romans, and we are now in Romans chapter 8. And in this section, you can go back kind of to chapter 6 where this begins. Paul continues to explain for us what it means to be united to Christ. The blessings of being in Christ instead of in Adam. And as Paul tells us of these wonderful blessings of our union with his 
with the Son of God, he comes to this new theme in this passage that was just read for us. It is key to our growth in Christ. It's one of the most precious themes in all the Bible, our sonship. That Christians, those in union with Christ, are truly the children of God. And this is the first time in this letter to those at Rome that they have been called sons or children of God. But now Paul repeats this theme in every verse in this passage. Did you hear it? Verse 14, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And then again in verse 17, if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. This is a wonderful summary of the relationship that we now enjoy with the holy God, the creator, the king of everything. He is now our loving heavenly father through our union with Jesus Christ. There is nothing, nothing more eternally wonderful as being the adopted child of God, the one who sits on the throne of the universe, who reigns in glory, is our Father. Beloved, God Almighty is your loving Heavenly Father. And I believe that understanding the depths of this glorious truth, learning to enjoy and rest in this new relationship that you have with God is key, vital, to growing and living as a follower of Jesus. In this section of Romans, Paul's also talking about sanctification. That is how we grow to be more and more like Christ. And beloved, your growth in Christ, your sanctification, it is not about trying hard to be a better person. It is about learning to live as a beloved child of God. It is learning to relate to God as your loving father, learning to trust him, to enjoy him, to delight in him, to rest in God as your loving father, rather than be afraid of him as a condemning judge. And so, beloved, this morning I pray that we will all know and believe and cherish this main point from these wonderful words of life, truth from God Almighty himself to you from Romans chapter 8 this morning, and it's this, that through Jesus Christ, you are now a child of God. And as a child of God, you now know and have God with all that he is and does as your loving heavenly Father. And you always will, forever. For those who are in Christ Jesus, we are children of God. Now we'll ask two questions about that this morning. How does that happen And what does that mean? How does that happen? How do we become children of God? And we will see that we become children of God by adoption. It is a gift we receive. There are no natural born children of God. And what does it mean? We will see that it means that we are led by the spirit of God. That we're no longer a slave to fear. But beloved children who can cry Abba Father. And that we are now heirs of God himself. 
Now, as we look more deeply at that, I want to encourage our children to listen for a story about what God counts. Listen for a story about what God counts. And then also, near the end, listen for a little note that my daughter Molly wrote when she was a young child. Those are some things we'll see this morning. But first... How does this happen? How do we become children of God? So first, when we are united to Christ, we become a child of God. But how? How does that happen? Verse 15, Paul says, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. So to become a child of God is something you receive. It is a blessing you receive, not a status you achieve. The only way to become a child of God is for God himself to adopt you into his family. So there are no natural born children of God. Not everyone is a child of God. Everyone is created by God. It's an important distinction that the Bible makes. Not everyone is a child of God. Yes, everyone is created by God, but only those who who are united to Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit, who calls them to repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners. It's only these who then have the right to become the children of God. And this new relationship with God is not something that you are able to achieve on your own, and you are not simply born into it. You cannot work your way into God's family. You must be adopted in through the gracious work of God. Beloved, this is a blessing you receive, not a status you achieve. Which is great news for us because if we didn't earn it, we can't lose it. It's a gift given. And you become a child of God when you receive God's wondrous gift of salvation. To be a child of God is to receive this gift that is both planned and given by God. And everywhere in the scriptures where it talks about this, this is the point that it makes. Ephesians chapter 1, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. So Paul's telling us this was planned by God before you were even born. In fact, before the world was even created. In 1 John chapter 3, John writes, See or behold what kind, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. This is a love that is given. God gives his love to us and he makes us his children. In the Gospel of John chapter 1, John writes, Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So beloved, to be a child of God is a blessing you receive, not a status you achieve. God himself is the one who brings you into his family through adoption And that is possible only through the work of his own son, Jesus Christ, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection from the dead. So your adoption is through 
Jesus Christ. And so it is eternally secure. Beloved, you were once an enemy of God. Now, you are a beloved child of God only because it was the gracious plan of God for Jesus Christ, the spotless lamb of God, to bear the full wrath of God in your place. Amen? Amen. So to become a child of God is a gift given. It is received, a blessing you receive, not a status you achieve. And so what impact does that have? On the children of God. The children of God are forever humbly grateful. We are so thankful. We are in awe of this wondrous gift. That God has made us his own beloved children. Now what does it mean? What does it mean to be a child of God? What are some of the blessings of this new relationship? Blessings of having God himself as our father. There are three blessings, three areas of blessings that I want to point out from Romans chapter 8. We're led by the Spirit of God. We're no longer a slave to fear, but a beloved child, and we are heirs of God. So first, let's begin. We're led by the Spirit of God, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God? Now, there are many ways the Spirit leads us. But this morning, I want to point out simply two that another pastor helped me see see from here in Romans chapter 8. So first, it means that we submit to Jesus as Lord and we fight against sin. And we do so. We We do so having the full, unbounded love and favor and tender affection of God as our loving Heavenly Father who is for us. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So in other words, the Holy Spirit leads us. He bears witness with our spirit that Jesus is Lord. He leads us to believe this and to proclaim this. And this produces a profound change in our lives toward God. Instead of rebellion against him, now it leads to humble submission. Jesus, the eternal son of God, is my Lord and my master. I am his subject. He is my ruler, my sovereign, my king. Now, how does this show up in our lives? It shows up in this. We actively fight against sin and we strive to obey God. We put sin to death. You saw this last week. This is, this is why it's good to bring your Bible with you, not just rely on the passage we print in the worship guide, but if you have your Bible with you, you have the passage open, look back one verse earlier, verse 13. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. This is the result of the leading of the Spirit in your life. The Spirit of God leads you as a child of God to submit to and honor Jesus Christ as Lord so that by the power of the Spirit within you, you fight against sin. The Spirit leads you as a child of God to proclaim Jesus is Lord. But that's not the only cry that the Spirit puts in your heart. The Spirit also leads you to cry, Abba, Father. Verse 15, 
you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And those words, by whom, they show us who does this work. It's not our work, it's the work of the Spirit, the leading of the Spirit. He is testifying in your heart that you are a child of God. And this also leads to a profound change in your life toward God. It brings with it a joyful, a bold, a childlike demeanor of confidence. God is your Father. He's your tender, loving Father. What does it mean to be a child of God? It means that you are led by the Spirit of God to cry out, Jesus is my Lord. I will fight against sin. And he also leads me to cry out, God is my Father. He loves me. He will take care of me. Jesus is my Lord. God is my Father. That is the humble, hope-filled cry of every person in whom God's Spirit dwells. What does it mean to be a child of God? It means you're led by the Spirit of God. It also means you're no longer a slave to fear. You are a beloved child. No longer a slave to fear, but a beloved child. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will drive this truth home in your heart today. It will change your life. Because as children of God, your relationship with God is completely changed forever. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer a slave to the law. You're no longer under the curse of the law or the condemnation of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So beloved, God is no longer the judge who condemns you. No longer angry with those who are in Christ. You no longer need to fear his wrath. You no longer need to fear that he may be disappointed with you or that you have to earn his favor. So I pray that we will all learn together, that, that we, the family of proclamation, will grow together in this, learning to trust our Father, to enjoy our Father, to delight in him and rest in God as our loving Father, rather than Fear him as a condemning judge. That has no place in our lives anymore. Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Think back to when God created the world. When God created the first human beings, Adam and Eve, and he placed them in the beautiful garden of Eden, and he walked with them, and they enjoyed communion and loving fellowship with God. But then Adam ruined that fellowship by his disobedience. He did not trust God. And after he disobeyed God, God comes walking in the garden, and Adam hears him. And what does Adam do? He hides. He hides. God said, where are you? And Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. When you are afraid of God's displeasure, you hide from him. You withdraw, you isolate yourself because you do not trust his goodness or his love. And It was right for Adam to be afraid in this way. He was guilty and his sin had to be punished. 
But beloved, as children of God, you are no longer in Adam. You are now in Christ. So no longer be afraid of God in this way. In Christ, your sin is atoned for. Your guilt is taken away. And you are invited to draw near with the full assurance of faith. God is now your loving heavenly father. What did God do in response to Adam's sin? He sacrificed an animal. And he clothed Adam. Yes, Adam would be cast out of the garden as the curse for his sin, but God also made a promise, a merciful promise in the face of outright rebellion. The seed of the woman would come and would crush the head of the serpent. And then when the fullness of time had come, God kept that promise. God sent forth his own son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those under law. He he redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us so that we might receive what? Adoption as sons. So he could make us his children once again. Listen, I'm going to tell you the best news you've ever heard. Did you know you were going to hear that when you came this morning? This is the best news you've ever heard in your life. We were all born guilty in Adam. Slaves to sin. Slaves to the law. Dead to God. Our relationship with God was that of a holy and righteous judge to guilty, condemned rebels. We were the rightful objects of God's wrath and it was appropriate for us to be terrified of God and his just wrath, to try to hide from him, but that is impossible. The Bible says your sin will find you out. Now here's the good news. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and you raised us up with him and seated us with his own son Christ in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's the best news you could ever hear. The grace of God has transformed our lives. It's forever changed our relationship with God himself. So now we know God, we have God with all that he is, all that he does as our loving father. So verse verse 16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And it takes the witness of the Spirit because in our own spirits, we hear that news and we think, how can that be true? That is too good to be true. And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, comes to us and he says, you are a child of God. This is the assurance the Spirit himself gives to us. God himself Speaking words of truth, of life, of comfort to your soul, beloved, you are my beloved child. With you, I am well pleased. So I urge you today to believe the witness of the spirit of truth and be drawn to God. Don't hide. Don't run away. Don't shrink back in fear. Draw near. God's spirit in you replaces the fear of a slave toward a master with the love of a child toward a father. You are now a child of God, and as a child, you learn to walk in a new way. 
to trust God as your father, to enjoy him as your father, to please him and obey him, not from fear, but from love. You know, it's possible. It's possible to get a level of outward obedience, of external compliance through fear, through enslavement. A man from Vietnam was once asked if the people in Vietnam liked communism. And he said no. But then he added, but they have the guns. Right? The people with the power, with the guns, they can enslave you. They can create enough fear so there is a level of outward external compliance. But that is not the way God relates to us as his children. This is not what the Holy Spirit does in us to get us to kill sin. What does he do? He brings us into loving fellowship, communion with the triune God. He makes us children of God through the work of Jesus, God's son, so that now we share and and enjoy the relationship that Jesus has always had with God. That of precious son to loving father. Jesus gives us the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is Aramaic for Father. This is the word Jesus used of God, his Father, in prayer. It's a word of warm affection. It indicates both a high degree of closeness, tenderness, and also reverence at the same time. It's used in in the family circle. It's a word that family members use. Some say that it's a child's word. A child trusting his father. Daddy, some will say. And remember the first lesson we learned about prayer? Through prayer, Jesus invites you, invites us, to enjoy the loving relationship that he's always had with his father. So before prayer is something we do, It's a relationship that we enjoy. And so the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And what did he say? He said, when you pray, say this, our Father, our Father. And what do those words teach us? The catechism asks that question. It says it teaches us to draw near to God with all holy reverence and confidence, both reverence but also confidence as children to a father able and ready to help us. As children of God, we are no longer slaves to fear. We are beloved sons and daughters who can cry, Abba, Father. Through Jesus, the Spirit brings us into this relationship of welcome, of warmth, of love, of delight, of closeness, of intimacy. So we do not need to hide in fear. We do not need to isolate or withdraw or avoid God. We don't have to work hard to appease God, to cover our shame, to remove our guilt, because Jesus has done all that already. He cried out, it is finished. So now we draw near in response to this warm, welcoming love, to enjoy God's delight, to enjoy his acceptance. We are secure in this new relationship. Well, I do want to tell our children a story I heard from another pastor. I think this, the aim is that this will help us grasp the tenor, the spirit of this blessed relationship. So, so I'm going to tell the children this story, and the rest of you can listen in. 
So there was once this boy who loved to count. He would count everything. He would count the socks in his drawer. He would count the peas on his plate. He would count the number of cars on the highway. If he, if, if he was here today, he would count the number of times his pastor said, Beloved, or the number of times Brother Teddy said, Amen. He loved numbers. He loved to count. So one day he got thinking, and he said, he asked his father a question. He said, Daddy, does God count? And his father said, Yes, son. God counts. He can count. And so the son asked him, Well, Dad, what does God count? And the father said, God counts the hairs on our head. And the son said, everyone? And the father said, yes, son, every hair. The son was amazed and he thought for a moment, he said, what else does God count? And the father said, well, if you get hurt or you're sad and you cry, God counts our tears. And the son said, every tear? And the father said, yes, son, every tear. The son was amazed. He thought for a moment. He asked his father another question. Is there anything that God does not count? And the father said, yes, son. There's one thing God does not count. And the son asked the father, well, what does he not count? So the father took his son by the hand and he walked him down the hall and he pointed up to the cross on the wall. And he said, son, the day Jesus died, God stopped counting our sins. He added them all up and he gave them to Jesus. And the son said, every one. And the father said, yes, son, every single one and he'll never count them again but the bible tells us paul writes in second corinthians that in christ god was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them the psalmist said if you O lord kept a record of sins if you kept a count of sins O lord who could stand but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Not a fear of being afraid, a fear of reverence and awe. The awe of this is almost too good to be true, but it is true. So children, what does God count? He counts the hairs on our head. He counts the tears we have shed, but not the sins for which Jesus our Savior we are no longer a slave to fear. We are now beloved children of God who can cry, Abba, Father. Well, there's one more thing we want to look at this morning. What does it mean to be a child of God? It means that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So, beloved, God is now your father. You are now heirs of God. You will receive an inheritance from God, the king of the universe. What is this inheritance? Well, Paul says it is preceded 
by suffering. We are fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now for Christ, suffering preceded glory. The same will be true for us. Now Lord willing, we'll talk more about that next week as we continue our study in Romans. But for now, know that being an heir of God includes suffering. But also know that that suffering ends in glory. It ends in glory. Well, what else is this inheritance? It includes everything God owns, which is everything. The very family wealth of God. It includes redeemed and glorified bodies. We mentioned that last week. Redeemed and glorified bodies. Those are wonderful things, but they're not the main thing. The most important thing about this inheritance about being an heir of God, is that we get God himself. The pinnacle of our inheritance is God. Everything else is bonus, not the main thing. Jesus said in John chapter 17, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. Peter said in 1 Peter three eighteen, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God back to God. The psalmist says, whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Beloved, as children of God, you are an heir of God. God has written his will and you are in it and he gives you himself. Last week, I believe it was, we were looking through some old papers, and we found this note that Molly had written. Don't know how old she was, but a young child. And in it, it it said, Molly's will. Molly's will. I have no idea why she was writing a will at that age. but. And this is what she wrote. Nellie and Marisol. So I I believe those are American Girl Dolls. Nellie and Marisol and all of their stuff should go in my memory box. My clothes should be for the twins, for Lydia and Ella, when they're old enough. Enough is spelled E-N-U-F, so she's young. Enough. All my toys should be sold, and Luke should get the money. All right. All my bed stuff and my rug should be kept in my bed and on the floor in my room for visitors. And that's it. I don't know why Elena was left out. Usually they were best buds. Maybe it was a bad day with them. Amy and I aren't in it. That's all right. Beloved, God, has written, God, in a sense, has written his will. It's not like Molly's. It's not, oh, that's sweet, not, but it's not real. No, beloved, nothing could be more real, more certain. God has written his will, and you are in it, and he's not taking you out. He's not rewriting his will. He'll never disown you. Since you are a child of God, you are also his heir. And we're not waiting for God to die to inherit it. Jesus has already died to bring us into it. So you enjoy it now, right this very moment. And wherever you go and whatever happens in your life, you enjoy it now. You know and you have God with all that he is and all that he does as your loving Heavenly Father. That's an entire another sermon. 
I could take a whole sermon and just talk about who God is and what he does and that we have him as our heavenly father. Beloved, we enjoy that now. There is also a sense in which part of our inheritance, you could say, is in a trust to be given to us when Jesus returns or God calls us home. We, we live in this already not yet enjoyment of this inheritance. Beloved God Almighty is your loving Heavenly Father. I said at the beginning that understanding this glorious truth is key to living and growing as a Christian. That our growth in Christ, our sanctification, it's not about us trying harder to be a better person. It's learning to relate to God as your loving Father. It's about living with God as his beloved child. And so for all of you who are united to Christ, you are now the children of God, and as his children, you now, today, know and have God with all that he is and does as your loving Heavenly Father, and you always will forever. May all who have ears to hear, hear and believe and enjoy and rest in this glorious truth today. Amen.